Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're going through, continuing to go through, I should say, the book of First Peter. And we come to chapter 3, and we find a very interesting uh, situation that Peter addresses, and that's those that are married to a lost person. Now, there's three ways, I, or I guess three ways. We'll count them out as this can happen. Number one, both people were lost, and then one of them got saved, and the other one didn't, okay? Which, in in context, that's most likely what Peter is addressing here, okay? Option number two, you knew they weren't saved, and you married them anyway because you believe the lie that I can change them. Option number three, you thought they were a believer, and then it became quickly apparent uh, after the fact that they were not. And so uh, I really don't want to dive into uh, how you got there or how this person got there. Maybe this isn't you, thank God, uh, but you know somebody who's in this situation, and that's why I think it's important to talk about. Um, I, because I feel like we can spend a lot of time saying we shouldn't marry them in the first place. Well, I mean, yeah, you that's true. I mean, that's true, 100% true. But what about people that didn't know? Or, uh, you know, people that they were both lost and one of them converted. Or what about the fact that, yeah, they, they made that mistake, but continuing to talk about the problem that they did is not going to help them find a solution. I think our time would be much better spent saying, okay, you're, you're in this boat. What does the Bible say? Not, not what does Brad Starnes say. What does the Bible say? And so we come to First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it. <clears throat> Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, or even as some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Verse 7, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I think the first thing we need to establish is Peter's not addressing marriage in general, though many of these principles apply to marriage in general. Um Somebody has to take the following role and somebody has to be the leader. Well, in, according to God's word in multiple places, uh, the husband is to be the head of the household and, and men are to lead the church. And a woman is to take a submissive role in the household and in the church. I'm not going to debate that with some radical feminist or some so-called liberal 
theologians if such a thing existed. That, that's what the Bible teaches in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's what Jesus did. That's what the early church did. That's what the apostles taught. And so we're not even, I'm not even going to sit here and try to defend that. If you don't believe the Bible, then this podcast probably isn't for you in the first place. So, but he is not addressing marriage in general because he, he gets very specific as if, even if, some do not obey the word. So what he is addressing is a mixed marriage. That's when somebody who's saved is married to somebody who is not saved. And so uh, that's as plain as it can be. Now, it's also important to remember that Paul also talked about this same issue in 1 Corinthians. Now, what you'll find that lets us know, you know, when people say, well, this is just contextual. No, this is universal because Paul says the same thing to a different group of people that Peter says, and Peter and Paul are in complete agreement, which makes perfect sense because they're inspired by the same Holy Spirit, and so do not believe the lie, well, you know, women aren't really supposed to submit to their husbands, that was just cultural, Um, no, that's the way God designed it. Um, and so, and we know what submission means. It means following a man as he follows the Lord. It doesn't mean you have to do anything your husband tells you, no matter what he tells you to do and all that other, and abuse and all that. That's garbage. Um, that's, that's not what the word submission means, uh, despite what the culture tries to paint it to mean. Um, that, that's, we're, we're, that's, uh, this is not Islam where a woman is property. Uh, in Christianity, a woman is a spiritual equal, um, and equal in every way, uh, but he goes to make that point, um, join heirs of grace, but the point is somebody has to take roles, and those roles were established in Genesis, they were reaffirmed in the New Testament, and so you can argue with God about that, I'm not going to waste another second on it. But anyways, mixed marriage, winning a lost spouse, and so Peter deals with that, and as we'll go through that, we want to jump right in, because um, here's the thing, if you're in this situation, you're asking, well, what do I do? Well, we're going to look at it in two ways, okay? Easy as I can make this. Number one, what should a believing wife who's married to a lost husband do? Okay, pretty simple. Number two, what should a believing husband who's married to an unsaved wife do? Okay, pretty simple. So we're going to look at it if you're the woman and you're saved and he's not saved. Then we're going to look at it if to the to the men if you're saved and she's not saved. Okay, just just simple. Not here to impress anybody with a fancy outline or anything like. I simply want to tell you what the Bible says. So Peter begins by addressing the wife in marriage, and he says, "Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands." that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now, it's God's marital design in general that women take the role of submission while men take the role of headship. Yet the temptation for a woman in this situation who's converted would be well to think, well, my husband's not a Christian, so I can just do what I want. Better yet, I can leave him. He's not a Christian in the first place. Yet what does Peter say? Does he say, leave that buzzard? No, he does not say that. Rather, he says, stay and submit and live a godly life in hopes that that is a testimony to him. So 
And Paul, addressing this same situation in 1 Corinthians, wrote this, And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. So she is to, as much as possible, stay with him and by example attempt to lead him to Christ. Now Peter goes into great detail in our passage about how she's supposed to do that. First of all, she is to remain in submission. There's no caveat should her husband be unsaved. She has the same responsibility as if he were a Christian. Now obviously, if her husband tells her to disobey God, then she should not obey that. Okay, Submission doesn't mean total obedience no matter what. That's not what it means. It means to follow the lead. Mm. So, but Peter is speaking in generalities. Her disposition towards her husband should not change. That is God's design for all marriages. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your own husband as is fitting to the Lord. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, God speaking directly to Eve. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, we have to admit, if he is not saved, then why should she still submit to him? We have to admit that that's a good question. I mean, I'm not trying to belittle that. I'm just simply telling you what the Bible says, but I get it. I I get it. That's a great question. Um, Well, if, you know, pastor, he's not following Christ, why should I follow him? Or be in a submissive disposition to him? Well, Peter gives a direct answer. In hopes that he will be saved. So Peter says, they without a word may be won. How? By the conduct of their wives. Now he's not saying without the word, the gospel. Because earlier in chapter 1 and 2 he says, you were saved by the word, which is the gospel. Okay, so you have to hear the gospel to be saved. Okay, I think it was St. Francis the Sissy, I mean St. Francis of Assisi, uh, who said, uh, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. That That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's like saying feed the hungry and only use food if you have to. Um, you have to preach the gospel. There has to be a verbal witness. A witness is somebody who testifies verbally to that which they have seen and that which they have heard, okay, Jesus told us to preach the gospel and to command them to obey all things. You can't do that by just living in good in front of somebody. As Steve Lawson said, they'll just die and go to hell thinking you were a really nice guy. Um, Obviously, our conduct matters, but we have to preach the gospel. So he doesn't say without the word, but he says without a word from the wife. In other words, you're not to nag him. You're not to berate him. You're not to belittle him. But rather, you're to show him the example of a godly Christian wife. Because I'm going to tell you, that silent, sweet sermon of a saved woman, as I call it, the silent, sweet sermon of a saved woman, that will break the hardest of hearts into pieces by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've seen it happen. And so um, that's what he's saying. So he says to stay with him, uh, you know, invite him to church, share the gospel with him, but but that's not to be a constant nagging thing. The more important task, Peter says, 
is to make sure that your walk matches your talk, that you're showing your husband what a Christian looks like. So secondly, she uh, is called uh, to win him by fidelity. Peter continues about her chaste conduct. That means faithful living, clean living, living, clean living. That's funny. Clean living. The wife practices her Christian faith far more than she speaks about it. And when she does speak about it her hus- to her husband, her actions and example back it up. She is to treat him, uh, she is not to treat him poorly or practice adultery. Uh, or differently. She is to be faithful. She is to be submissive. Then we come to the last section of the text regarding women. Peter instructs them to focus on inner beauty, on inner beauty, not the modern idea of an outward appearance and being obnoxious and so-called a boss lady. Women like that, quite frankly, end up miserable and alone. Okay? According to a study by McGill University's psychology department, the happiest marriages are those in which the wife took a submissive, dependent role upon the husband for emotional support in which the husband, in turn, was nurturing and protecting over his wife. Now, a secular college figured that out, but we've known it for thousands of years because the Bible already told us that, uh, that holiness leads to happiness not the other way around. A holy marriage leads to a happy marriage. And so Peter, in this context, the women had no rights. Uh, they, they, they couldn't vote in, in the Roman government. They could not be out in public without their husband, and much of that still continues on in the Middle East today in Muslim countries. Uh, it was very similar. Um, she had no rights. And so what women begin to do in this time is, is what they're doing now in the secular world is put all their attention on physical appearance. That's it. They dyed their hair. You know, we think, well, women are dyeing their hair all kinds of colors now. That We know from history that in, in when Peter wrote this in the 60s, not the 1960s, but the 060s, in the 60s A.D., that they were... Uh, Dyeing their hair purple, uh, blue was a very popular color, gold, literally get, making it as yellow as possible. All those were popular colors. Um, one ancient uh, historian pointed out that women, wealthy women carried a fortune in their ears as I was reading about the history behind this. And so talking about their expensive earrings because that's all they were allowed to have. And yet Christ grants so much more freedom than that. And he says, don't put your focus on that, ladies. Rather, put it on your inner beauty because inner beauty is not corrupted. You know, he speaks about inner beauty being incorruptible. It lasts forever. Outward appearances fade and change with time, but inner beauty is eternal. And what does inner beauty look like? being loud and obnoxious and I, I don't need no man and all that garbage. Well, you, you can do that, and, and you'll, you'll again, you'll, you'll wind up miserable and alone. Or you can have a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, I know somebody, well, you're a sexist. You're the, it didn't say very precious in the sight of Brad Starnes. Okay, I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, all right, verse 4. Last section, after the last comma, very precious in the sight of G-O-D. This ain't Brad's opinion. This is God's word. 
And so that 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 when you do that, if you're married to a lost man, he sees that example and it can win him to Christ. Now, I, I want you to also understand something that you know the the feminist critics of Christianity either don't understand out of ignorance or they do see it, but because they hate Christianity so much, they refuse to acknowledge it, that the Bible doesn't actually teach uh, a, a, a woman in this situation that she just has to do whatever. Because Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7 uh, that if the unsaved spouse abandons the woman, she's free. She's free to remarry. Uh, if he abandons them, let him go. Don't chase him. Let him go. But if he's willing to live with you and and loves you and wants to be married to you, then try your best to win him to Jesus Christ. So yeah, there are some a few caveats, um, despite what the critics of Scripture would tell you. But anyways, and so uh, now moving on, ladies, if you're if you're married to a man who's not a Christian, then the Word teaches you to be a godly wife, anyways. If I was to sum all this up. That's pretty much it. Live as if he was a godly husband. You continue to live as Christ has called you to live and hope and pray that God will use that testimony to woo him and to win him. Now, why did Peter spend six verses explaining this uh, to a woman in that situation versus one verse to explain to a man? There's a very simple reason uh, from the historical context. A lot of people read the Bible and don't study historical context, and that's why they come out with weird interpretations. Um, but the historical context is this. If a husband converted to Christianity, the whole family uh, culturally and, and in some ways, you could say by law, were expected to follow the religion of the patriarch. So he nothing changed because he was already leading. But if a woman converted to Christianity against her husband's wishes, that could get her killed uh, at worst and make her life a living nightmare at best. And so obviously Peter's going to give more attention to the woman because she's in a more vulnerable position in that day if she were to convert without her husband converting to Christianity as well. So that's the reason he gave it more attention. Now I'm moving on to, um, and we see that he gave the example of Sarah, okay, and that's pretty much just what he's doing. He's saying, you know, do these things that we've already spent um, looking at my clock, 18 minutes talking about, do these things like Sarah did. Okay, so there's no point, and we know Sarah is, that was the wife of Abraham uh, in the Old Testament, Abraham, the father of Israel, the the grand patriarch, whatever you want to call him, the guy with many sons is the song sang about. But anyways, and so we come to verse 7, husbands likewise, so likewise in this same situation, in this same context, dwell with them with understanding understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered this one verse though seemingly shorter than the previous is packed to the top with truth first of all men are cons are commanded to dwell with them with understanding that that means he must be considerate of his wife's feelings and needs he must always be to her a listening attentive and caring ear one of the cruelest things a woman may endure is an uncaring 
husband. Understanding requires not simply hearing, but listening. A genuine effort to listen, understand, and in turn comfort his wife must be made on the part of the husband. Another word that helps us understand this word is being considerate. Not only dwell with them with understanding, but dwell with them with consideration. And he must realize that while his wife is required to follow his decisions, her feelings upon about these decisions they affect her and they deal with her and he must honor his wife, listen to his wife, try to love and protect his wife. We should be, a husband should be their wife's biggest cheerleader. Um, how, do, how do I explain this? Because I know some hear the fact about women having to submit and they get so mad because, you know, they... They rebel against the Holy Spirit that they don't realize the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin is, even if your wife is lost, men, that you're to love her as Christ loved the church. Boom. We all, I mean, my gosh, do we not always talk about God loves you, God loves you, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. Love, 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 love. We know what God's word to you, husband, is. Why don't you go ahead and take a shot at loving her like Christ loved you? Now, what did Christ do for the church? Well, first of all, he was willing to die for the church. Are you willing to die for your wife? Second of all, he's prepared a home for the church. Are you ready to prepare and to maintain a home for your wife? And third of all, he promised never to leave nor forsake the church. Are you willing to never leave nor forsake your wife? And I think the ladies would agree that if a husband treats her in that way, She'll follow him to the edge of eternity and jump off with both feet if she has to. You are to be her protector, her provider. You're to pray for her. Because the fact that it says your prayers may not be hindered, that, that presupposes that you're already praying with and for her. The only thing, person or thing or whatever that's supposed to come before your wife is Jesus Christ. Your wife's supposed to come before your children. And so, again, I and, and if you want to hear a great message on this text, look, go to gracetoyou.com and listen to John MacArthur preach this text. Way better than Brad Starnes, I can promise you that. But I simply wanted to explain it to you. Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the weaker vessel. Now, he's talking about phys- physically speaking. Women are biologically weaker than men. By the way, that's one reason that men need to stay out of women's sports and let's stop pretending like transgender uh, so-called women are real women. Real women are born women. And if that offends you, I'm sorry. If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's not a goose, it's a duck. But anyways, they're weaker vessels, so that means they need to be protected and cherished. But it also carries the connotation of weaker as in precious. Like fine china, it's it's valuable. It is uh, worth exceedingly abundant. It, it deserves attention, care. I mean, guys, you you're just supposed to love her like crazy. I guess is the plain redneck way of putting this. As being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers not be hindered. So hopefully. When he, when you love your wife in this way, if even if she is not a Christian, that would draw her 
to Christ because she sees that you treat her like a princess and maybe she realizes, well, I, I talk to my friends and their husbands aren't that good to them. What's different about him? Well, what's different about him is Jesus Christ. And that would be a testimony. So in conclusion, if your spouse is not a Christian, you can follow uh, this passage, but also 1 Corinthians 7 It's uh, that talks about people in this situation because I, I just I find people in this situation and many of them won't admit it. Everybody kind of knows it, but they won't come out and just admit, okay, you know, this is the situation. But I, what I want to do is give you hope that, man, God has ways to address a, a situation as specific and as awful as that one. Uh, and he gives it to us in First Peter 3 and in First Corinthians 7. Now, I don't have time to go over and read 1 Corinthians 7 and do a whole sermon on it, but I'm just giving it to you as a way of reference. Now, none of this guarantees that that person will be saved because um, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 15, and 16, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? In other words, even if we do these things, we can't make our spouse get saved. You can't. Don't, the, only, the only person's salvation that you truly have any uh, control and you really don't, I, I mean, is yourself. You, you, you can't make somebody be a Christian. You can tell them and you, all that, whether they're your spouse or not, but you can't force somebody to convert. Now, that is mixed marriages, how to win a lost spouse to Christ. A very specific situation. I pray that if you're in this situation, man, I just pray for you right now. I hope that God will move in a mighty way. Um, but if you're not, but you know somebody that is, maybe share this passage of Scripture with them and encourage them. Until next time, I hope you keep studying your Bible verse by verse, word by word. Thank you for listening.